It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Yes, yes, today, yes, yes, today, you know, as we start this show, this one might be. There is a pause. Throughout the stadium, as this man sounded like he just coughed up a lung. Just looking around, the jumbotron shows and pans the cheerleaders, and as it goes down each cheerleader's face, each one breaks up into laughter, which at this particular time destroys half the stadium. The other half is still trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Does this guy need? Uh, CPR or something And then at that particular time I lost it <laughs> Devon Trump Yes, yes, yes Today Phoenix is another place They got a great uh, training staff I mean they, they were able to breathe life back into track And you can do that you know, People talk a lot about their <laughs> training staff love, love. Yes, yes, today you know, as we start this show, this one mic. All right, welcome to RSG One Mic, the place where the mic is hot. You know, only one person control the mic. Well, you don't have, you you know we don't do it like that at a time. All hosting callers are brought to you by Patreon. Go to Patreon to support underground artists and or performers. Support RSG at www.patreon.com forward slash RSG Live. That's www. Dot P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash R-S-G live to, to, to help us build this movement. You can also reach us and find us on uh, all, the, uh, on, on all uh, social media platforms uh, uh, under Real Sports Guys on Twitter, IG, and Facebook, as well as on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms. You can always call them the blog, talk radio website, look for us as well. It's hot. It's uh, this tis the season. Uh, all kinds of sports is going on, and uh, we're going to get into it. But before I do it, I have to do proper introductions. 
and run the pick and roll and hit my man, Big Bank Hank. What's up, Hank? Not much, D. How you doing tonight, man? Darnell, good to see her here for you later on this evening. It's going to be a wonderful night tonight, man. Just look here. We got a lot going on. We got a lot to play for. Make sure you got on the regulation shoes. I got to put you out of here. Oh, that's 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 it. That's it. That's it. And you know, and I'm 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 trying to make sure the board is right. I'm I'm trying to get the controls right. So I'm trying to make it go here and there. And so uh, uh, we because we got a lot to uh, to talk about. So I'm gonna be moving us through the agenda. How you doing, Darnell? I'm doing good. How are you? All right, man. You 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 put together a hot lineup tonight, man. You feeling good? You know, you uh-huh. you getting your first producer producer uh 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 credits right now. Yep. Hopefully I did a hopefully I did a good job, but I think I did. Oh yeah, you you, you mixed up the gumbo right. I think you, you mixed up the gumbo <laughs> right, man. You you mixed it up. You 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 did your thing. Yeah, it, 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 it's a good one, but just understand now, you know, I got these old tastes, but I like it hot and spicy. So, you know, you you, you started <laughs> off the right way. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, man. So, thank you, young man. That's Darnell, the super intern. Uh, he, he, we're going to try and bring him in and out throughout the show. So, you know, uh, if I forget, Darnell, you need to speak up. I'll forever hold your peace. All right. So, you don't, don't be shy over there in the corner. All right. So we're going to get you it's opening night NBA, man. I found myself uh, waking up late sometimes this week because even Tuesday night I forgot that was like opening night, really. And so, you know, and I love watching my guys on TNT over there. We had a good time just watching them. We get Ernie and Kenny and, and, and Chuck and, and Shaq over there. I just know it's, it's good, and they had me cracking up. But uh, it was opening season, and, you know, there's some things you can learn in the first 48 hours of the season. And, uh, you know, so we're going to start with some things here in the open mic se- segment, um, just kind of talking a little bit of NBA. And, and the, the first question that uh, Darnell put on the board for us is who impressed you um, uh, in, the, in, the, in, the, in these opening nights? Uh, Hank, you got anybody who impressed you? Yes, I do. You know, I think that when we start thinking about the, uh, the preseason or the postseason, the preseason and everything that was going on, um, and, and the movement of players, I was impressed by how well uh, Kawhi Leonard and uh, DeMar DeRozan came out with their new teams. You know, if you look at Toronto with Kawhi, they came out. Uh, he had uh, against Cleveland, they drove Cleveland, and he came out with 24 points, 13 boards. You know, looked good. And then you had DeRozan over in San Antonio, and I think he scored like 23, 24 points in his debut. Both of that, both of those are very impressive. That is a good sign going forward for both of those franchises. You know, when you've got you now, what I would call a wide open East, um, and Toronto with their failings, you know, not being able to get by um, the, Cleveland and get, get by LeBron. This is a good start for them. This is a good start for Kawhi, and and it's going to just see how how this transpires for this team. This is almost a new team, got a new coach, got a new superstar. Like again, a wide open East. I was very impressed with that. Darnell, who who impressed you? The whole Raptors team. I like. I'm gonna. I'm gonna be honest with you, man. I like the Raptors a lot this year. They're playing defense. They remind me a lot of uh, the Pistons team, the old Pistons team from the early 2000s. They're very long. Yeah. They defend very well. They have Kawhi. They have this one lineup where they have um, Lowry at the point. 
They have Lowry, Danny Green, Kawhi, Siakam, and they have um, Ibaka at the five. And that team lock that team lock up. I, yeah, that's a really good point. It, part of it is, and what we get a chance to see is the LeBronless effect. Um, so, and, and how you know all these people are trying to rise to the top. So you remove that kind of thing from them. But you also had a Kawhi, a guy. Even if LeBron was still in the East, a guy that didn't really fear playing against LeBron. But you know you got Boston over there. But that's a really good observation about how they came out the gate. Mine was, you know, it was ring night. It was ring yeah. light out there in Oakland, <laughs> you know, and they had a party over there. It, it was it was ring night out there, and and uh, but the thing that impressed me was the team they were playing, you know, because a lot of times you can get consumed by all that energy in Oracle, but I thought OK uh, City played well. Paul George led that team uh, without Westbrook recovering from knee surgery, but the person that surprised me, I liked the way he played. I think he's a great addition is Dennis Schroeder. He had 21 points. He was 7 of 19 shooting from the field, 8 rebounds and 6 assists. He's had historically some good games against Gold State, but what he gives them when Westbrook comes back is I think they start to build a really solid second unit. And I think that's important when you're trying to change pace. He's also a guy you can play at the point and move Westbrook to the two, which I think is is very important um, when I think about them long-term I think it's important over time to move Westbrook to that two position, have somebody else running the point, but he's got to have somebody running the point that he respects. And Dennis is a baller. He'll go out. The hairdo was thrown off. Cat got to look at that hairdo. The hairdo, I didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know if he was, he was, he was, he, he got a, he got a, uh, some type of uh, uh, deal with uh, 31 flavors or something, but his hairdo, I think that's that. You know, he he probably grew up. I think he grew up in Germany, and you know, on the south side of Hamburg. I don't know what it is. The hairdo, I guess you can wear that kind of stuff in Oklahoma City. But the hairdo throws it off. But his game is sufficient. Um, I was really surprised by how he quickly kind of integrated into that team, and they they pushed Golden State uh, in that opening night. So that's something that really looks. Who looks shaky? I'll go. I'll go. I'll go to you, Darnell. Who looks shaky so far here early on? I think we all gonna see the same team. The Houston Rockets. <laughs> they look horrible. Oh, oh man, I was at Lifetime working out. I saw the scoreboard. I was like, "What happened, man?" <laughs> I thought they was gonna come out and make a statement. They they was looking embarrassing. <laughs> For me, I mean, you gotta think about it. I mean, I, when I looked at, it, they got bullied. They got bullied. They got beat 131-112 by the Pelicans. Anthony Davis had 32 points, 16 rebounds, and eight assists. They were they the Pelicans uh, out outscored them or out rebounded them on the offensive end, 14 to eight. They had 76 points in the paint. Them boys, uh, Randall, uh, and Davis, and them cats own that paint. Um, and I don't, I'm not sure if you'll get Miracek, you know, his kind of offensive performance all the time, but they clearly miss Ariza, who had 21 points in his opening against the Suns, uh, and they they missed Bayamute. You know, they, they they gave them uh, they gave them a sense of an identity uh, that they just don't have. They're they missing some key guys on that defensive end, and they just it's, it's the first night, but I was I was clearly saying, wow, I didn't think they would just let somebody come in the house and just bully them. 
and just beat them up in a way that, you know, you just – that's going to give the Pelicans a little bit of confidence. What about you, Hank? You know what? That, I, I looked at that one long and hard, but I also saw the game that Davis had, okay? He had a monster game to come out. Oh, my God. So, but – so with that being said, what I picked, I picked Philly as being oh, shaky. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah. Because I thought that that was that could that I thought when I looked at that game is like what a great way to, for the East to preview what they might think might be this year's Eastern Conference Finals, and they didn't show up. Okay, they got drawn by 18 points, and you know, and like I said, it's the first game and everything is in Boston, but show up. You know, this is the team you're going to be battling for the most part for the entire year. But for for supremacy in the East, and you don't play, and yeah, it's the first week, first night. You got time to get ready for this team. Show out on them, okay? Start sending a message. Well, the message is sent. Y'all not ready for prime time yet, young man. Yeah, yeah. All summer, all that talking, all that tweeting, all the preseason stuff, and you just—I mean, Boston just basically controlled that game. You know, you know, in a way to just say, you know what, y'all, y'all ain't ready for prime time. Nope. Y'all ain't ready, youngins. Y'all ain't ready for prime time. And you know, you got folks. I mean, they they got a lot of problems. I think part of it is you got you got folks coming starting, and, and then you got JJ coming off the bench. JJ is a energy start. He's a veteran. He's a dog, and he's the kind mm-hmm. of person who can settle you early on. And when you got him coming off the bench, now you got all them youngins for the most part, on, on on the floor, and you don't have your veteran who at the free throw line can pull them all together and say, hold on, let's, let's slow down, let's make sure we remember this. He's on the sidelines coming off the bench. And for me, it, you know, basketball is a meritocracy. Young fella, uh, you might have some psychological problems. We've seen it happen in baseball where cats lose the ability to throw the first and all those things. But that can't stop us from getting to a championship. you got to right. figure that out. And if you ever earned a starting spot, a, a basketball locker room knows that. And I, I think that kind of stuff took the air out because you need to have toughness, and, and nobody on their team is tougher than J.J. Reddick, in my mind. Right. I agree. In my I, mind. I think we've seen it. I think we've seen that, you know. And, and again, you got, you got, um, you got my, my boy coming back this year. You know, he, he, he's ready to sign. Uh, so mm-hmm. – for full time, so so this team right here to me, they they right now they look like they are the team in the in the East to beat Boston, the Boston Celtics, uh, until until further until you know until further evidence comes out, and you can make a you can make an argument that Darnell did for Toronto, and they're they're intriguing, they're very intriguing, but clear but clearly Cleveland is in a rebuilding mode. They can say what they want to, and they might be a five seed, but obviously. Uh, they're not somebody to be feared anymore. If that, and I think I'm being generous. Yeah, I mean, when you think about trying to make early predictions, you know, it's hard to not say that Golden State and Boston are are the front runners for the finals. Although I think Boston is going to have a harder, tougher run than people think because of what Darnell just said uh, about Toronto and some of those other teams. As those teams start to gel and find their identity, uh, you know, they're going to – make Boston's run to the finals a, a, a tough one, uh, tougher than people think. Um, I think Gold State will have some resistance, but there's so many of these teams who've made changes. You know, if Houston had made all the changes they made, you know, people don't understand what a reason move means to your locker room until you lose them. You know, right. you, you focus so much on Paul 
you focus so much on Harden, they get all the press clippings. But Ariza is a cat that's doing all the dirt. He's been doing that since he was playing with the Lakers. So you people just kind of think you can you can add pieces in there, and those are the kind of things that Carmelo going to help you with. Although Carmelo, I think, as he gets acclimated, will do his thing for him. And so some of those teams that I thought could challenge him are going to you know, they have a serious adjustment period. Um, and then the ones like the Pelicans are really great, but when they get up against Golden State, they have psychological blocks. And so I think they – they got no. They know they got a couple more runs in them, and they're trying to cherish them. Um, and so, it, 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 I don't know if it's too early to make some predictions, but those teams seem to be the, the front runners. What do you think, Darnell? I think that's it. Those couple corners gonna be a change, but <laughs> I think you, you said, put it you, right on the head, bro. You said it ain't no more to add on it. I, I like where you're coming. Rookie of the year. Yeah, I'll man, start with this. You. I'm going to start and end with this, Aiden. <laughs> Man, you know, is there anything else to say? Okay, yeah, I'm no. like Darnell. Look here. If that's what you're going to start with, I'm like Darnell. That's it. That's it. That's it. Let's just that's it. I mean, that boy came out. Now, I'll tell you what. I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to give you back your floor, but, but I don't think there's much to be said about that. But somebody, yeah, there were but two of these rookies that showed out opening yeah. week. It was him and Mo Bamba, okay, yeah. over, over in Orlando. Who got like like you know he got one of the baddest names in basketball right now Mo yeah. Bamba. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's the irony yeah. the irony in a game that's been about you know pace and space and no positionless basketball the two bigs are just doing their thing you know it's kind of right. surgeons of these bigs who are playing they can play a little bit outside but they play their outside game is a lot like you know the Ewing you know we don't get you from eighteen feet. You know, and, and, and keep you honest. And then we're going to take you to the post off the dribble or whatever, you know, some of that stuff. But it's not always, you know, they can shoot out to the three, but they don't have to, um, you know, they don't have to, uh, 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 you know, uh, actually get there. And, they, and, they can, and, and as a young guys, they're learning how to control the pace by their size. And so, but this kid is, is just, I mean, and the hard thing about it is, is, is y'all who listen to us about college uh, basketball understands Arizona is on my can't trust it list. Yep. All the way back to Lou Olsen. <laughs> you know, yep. and, and sometimes the, play, the players are, are, are softer than wet tissue. And so for him to grow up in Arizona, go to Arizona, and go to the Suns and have that dog in him, it's a little hard for me to kind of get my head around, if y'all can feel what I'm going for. So I'm, I'm going all chips in on this young man. He's coming with the dog. And I, I, I think there's going to be some people who are going to make a run late. But I think he's going to make such a statement in his first month. He, you can tell he kind of self-scouts in a way. Um, you know, we might change our mind in a couple of weeks, but this kid's for real, grown man. He's a grown man. Well, I like and- grown man basketball anyway, you know. Yes. The reason why I like him and him and Mo Bamba, you know, I've, I've, yep. I'm a, you know me, I'm a purist. I mean, yep. you got to be able to play in the paint. All right, yeah. and we saw what that looks like with this, and we saw what it looked like with Bamba. And by the way, Bamba had a sick block on somebody in that game yeah. too. I mean, you want to be able to have some sort of, you know, um, front court play in basketball. Otherwise, you really ain't playing no doggone grown man basketball. So this, I, I like seeing this. I'm hoping that this year with these two, that there's a, there's some resurgence of, of that. You know, so yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, because a lot of it's around a lot of it's around controlling tempo, um, and 
you know, they these bigs, if they can play it right, uh, can, can control possessions, control tempo in ways that, are, you know, are, are very important. Uh, and sweeper teams, I'll begin with this. And people want to talk about it, but I watched them as Denver. And you got Gary Harris, uh, Jamal Murray. I think they're the up-and-coming backcourt. But Jokic and Millsap and Barton is sneaky nice. And then you add the bench of Plumlee, Beasley, and Morris. And then you got Isaiah Thomas, I believe, coming back uh, uh, here later in the season. But that backcourt and that five, and, you know, Jokic, I think what Jokic had, what, like 10 triple-doubles last year? They're 9-1. You know, Denver, I think, is going to be sneaky. And if they can get into that eighth, seventh, or whatever spot, you know, they could be a problem just because they too, they got some young boys who just don't care. The young boys are like, I'm about to take my spot. Um, and so I really like Denver. I, you know, at first I was just kind of like, I'm not sure. But I watched them play. They get after it. They get after it. You can tell they just got the kind of confidence right now that um, they're not going to be scared when they go into these top teams. They're going to be trying to go get their win. So Denver's a team that I think is a, a sleeper. Darnell, who, who do you think a sleeper? Man, I was two sleepers, one in the West, and, of course, uh, what you said, Denver, that was going to be my team. But I'll give you another one. Uh, we're talking about rookies. Of course, you said uh, DeAndre Ayton. But a rookie that um, I really like is Colin Sexton. Um, yeah. I think I don't think the Cavs are going to be that bad this year. I, I hear a lot of people saying they're going to miss the playoffs. I think they could be about a, a seventh seed, six, seven seed. I think um, they'll be pretty good. Not good, but, you know, they're, they're not going to fall off the map. No, I agree with you on that. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Colin Sexton fan. You know, you know he's from Georgia. Uh, and one of the people told me a, lot, a little bit about him, you know, obviously I had a chance to see that video when he was killing Anthony Harbonnet's son and, and talking to him. But I, I got some folks, because he, 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 he played ball down in that, with the Atlanta area, who was like, this kid came on smart as all can be, you know, obviously learned under Avery and his, his, his time over at Alabama, but this kid has got competitiveness. Like, he got fight in him. He got dog in him. And so I, I like that. And, you know, Kevin Love is now learning, getting back to playing without the shadow of LeBron, which is hard to play in. Um, you got some other pieces that are going to be able to breathe a little bit. In ways, you know, LeBron's a great player, but LeBron also is it's a stifling thing. You saw what happened with Biggs uh, playing with LeBron. So, Kevin, if Kevin can get back to some of the things he was doing before, you know, I think I think the East is so shaky, they could be a seventh, eighth seed, maybe even sixth, you know, get a couple runs together. And you're also going to get a chance to see the quality of the coaching, right, in, in a way that um, wasn't uh, wasn't getting credit uh uh, when LeBron was there. So I, I like that pick. What about you, Hank? You know what? There's so much that's going on in the West, you know. I, and, you, and you're looking at teams, you're asking what teams are going to challenge Golden State, okay? And and we can go back and forth on that. But what's wide open and what's going to really make the NBA fun to watch is what's happening in the East. Cause you got, so you got, like, Boston and maybe a couple other teams, that's going, to, that's going to make a push. The team I'm really interested in, I think it's going to be a sleeper, is the Milwaukee Bucks. I looked at the Bucks and how they play off. They were, they were very close to even knocking off Boston for a minute, and then, they, and then they, they let that series get away. But that's a team, and they picked up my man from uh, Villanova that just killed Michigan in the finals. 
uh, Dante v, v, uh, DiVincenzo. And you and I talked about his game. You know, we didn't mm-hmm. hear much about him. We talked about his game. And this is, again, mm-hmm. this East is wide open. Okay, this mm-hmm. East is wide open, and this, this, is, this is something we're going to be able to watch and watch these teams develop. Clearly, you know, when you got uh, the New York Knicks starting out whooping somebody by 20-plus points to start the season against an undermanned Atlanta team, you know that the league is wide open, right? So I'm saying yeah. to you that, uh, that, that that's a team right now. They were a playoff team last year. This is a team that no one's talking a whole lot about. But I think can really, you know, stir up to stir the pot a little bit, especially in in uh, a playoff series. Yeah, I, I, I think you know Milwaukee. You know, Giannis is obviously getting a lot of pub around the, the MVP. Um, this could be the year they start to pull it together. Um, you got you got Middleton and some of those guys out there. They got a taste of it um, as well, and so they're ready to kind of get in there and, and do some things. So. Yeah, Milwaukee's a team um, that you're really going to have to watch trying to break into that elite. You know, I know Milwaukee fans feel like they're back in them days of Sidney Moncrief and, and, and Julie yeah. Bridgman. They, they, they battling. And, um, you know, energy, new arena. So it's, it's going to be it's going to be rocking. I'm going to try to go over and see some games. Had a chance to check out the Denver-Chicago uh, preseason game uh, last week. And so beginning, I'm going to get over here to Milwaukee and check out some games and, and try and make this uh, – Get you know some good basketball starting to starting to have happen in the in the Midwest. I noticed we didn't say anything about Minnesota other than folks trying to choke each other out. But that being said, uh, we'll talk about them at a later date. Um, we hey, you know what time it is? It's time to talk about that baseball, and you you know we got to bring we got to bring Hank up here in the in, into the mix. Uh, to get in with it on it's playoff time. So, hey, what happened with the Mookie Bet inter, uh, interference call? You know what? I'm, you know that that play uh, really bothers me. Okay, and let me let me just bring everybody up to speed. So, uh, the other night, uh, Boston was up two to nothing, and uh, Jose Altuve, Houston was at bat. Jose Altuve, their All Star second baseman, was up with a man on. He hits a, a, a high fly ball to left center field. Mookie Betts goes up. Uh, he reaches into the crowd to try to get the ball. Uh, he does not get the ball. It is considered to be, um, you know, it, it was uh, it was considered to be a home run. But Joe West, the umpire, called fan interference. He was upheld by replay, and it was taken off. Altuve was called out and the inning was over. What happened was uh, Houston ended up losing that game 8-6. to six. problem I got with that call is the fact that that was a game-changing call. And let me give you a little bit of uh, history. behind. First of all, let me say this about the play, D, and the Darnell. It drives me crazy. Okay? If the ball goes into the stands, the ball belongs to the fans. If a player reaches into the stands and is interfered with, it is not – Fan interference it is only fan interference if the fan reaches out and touches the ball. If you go back and look at that replay, Mookie Betts' glove is clearly in the stands for that fan to hit his glove, okay? And that, that disturbs me in the playoffs when you just, have, you just have such a small margin of error, okay, such a small margin of error 
that it it can cause this. It it can cause you you, you cause you the whole season. All right, and a little bit of history on Joe West for those of you who don't know. Joe West is the same umpire that we know around here real well, D, and that's because uh, Joe West was the umpire who called the runner safe on uh, Andres Galarraga, who y'all probably, I mean, I mean, um, um, yeah, the pitcher for the Detroit Tigers, not Andres Galarraga, but, uh, uh, yeah, Andres Galarraga, my bad. But he was the pitcher for the Detroit Tigers. He had a perfect game going. And he, on the last play, the, the player was clearly safe. This was before the days of replay. Uh, clearly out. He called him safe, ruined this kid's, um, ruined this kid's uh, perfect game. Now he's in the playoffs, and he potentially may have cost the Houston Astros an opportunity to get back to the World Series. I, I, it was a very disturbing call to me. I thought it was an awful call. Uh, and baseball needs to look at that on, on all ends. And now you're sitting here, Boston's up 3-1, and you got Verlander right now out there in the top of the fifth. Boston's up one nothing. Is Verlander ready for this moment? Right now it looks like he's doing a pretty good job pitching. But, I mean, what's your sense about this? I mean, Houston was clowning about not getting showtime. Now they got showtime, it's about to be close time. So yeah. what, what do you do? Listen, here's the thing. Verlander is always ready for this moment, okay? Uh, when he was in Detroit, he was the man when it got to the playoffs, Okay. He was the one you wanted when you were down 2-1. He's the one you wanted to play if you were down 3-1. And he always brought it. Now, you know what? It pains me to say this, but it's the facts, all right? First of all, it killed me as a Detroit Tiger fan to watch David Price go against Justin Verlander when once upon a time both of those pitchers were on the Detroit Tigers roster. To watch them playing on opposite teams with an opportunity for one of these teams to go to the World Series sickens me right now, but I digress. But <laughs> what you're looking at right now is probably one of the best hitting teams in the modern era of baseball. All right? The Boston Red Sox is no joke. They've got at least three or four everyday players that you can look at that could potentially be MVP candidates. Not just Mookie Betts, but J.D. Martinez. Okay? you got Chris Sale over there. You've got You've got a who's who of players that's playing out of their mind right now, all right? And and the fact of the matter is is that with Houston being as good as they are, they just cannot match up with this team offensively, all right? And JD, and, and uh, Justin Verlander is going to give them everything they got. But the problem is, is Boston can score, okay? Boston has scored at least eight runs in, these last two, in, in the last two ball games, you know, to get them to 3-1 lead. They're going to score some runs. If you don't score back with them, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to do that. And oh, by the way, like I said, Craig Kimbrell on the back end of that of that bullpen, you've got some some stud uh, starting pitching. You start David Price, Chris Sale, who was out, who had some sort of stomach injury uh, ailment, and he's not he's not pitching, but he'll be ready for the for um uh, he'll be ready for if they get to the World Series or if they go any further in the series. And oh, by the way, Rick Porcello. Okay, you've got three pitchers on that. Roster that that has won the Cy Young, okay, and 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 the Fireman of the Year in Kimbrel, okay. You've got a pitching staff that's going to shut you down, and you've got just a murderous row of hitters. So it's going to be this is going to be a tall order for Houston. You know, take nothing away from them, 
But I think this is the end. And and that game, like I said, a, a call like that transcends a series, okay? A call like that, it's 2-2. Two two. That might change the whole momentum of this series. With them costing Houston two runs and they losing that game by two runs, that's going to be the talk of this of this ALCS. And, and, and you know, as we, we look, uh, we go to the uh, uh, Dodgers in uh, Milwaukee. The Dodgers up 3-2. Uh, going back to L.A., um, you know, this has been an interesting series. Uh, you know, can they close it out in game six, or or do you see us going to a game seven? Oh, no, this was going seven. This was definitely going seven. Listen, uh, I like the Milwaukee Brewers, okay? Uh, they're a solid team, and that, back, that game is back in Milwaukee. Let me tell you something. You know this. You know, I'm not telling you nothing you don't you don't know. That stadium's gonna be rocking. Middle field's yeah. gonna be off the chain. Okay? And it's gonna be tough for the Dodgers. And they're starting uh Ryu in that game. And for some yeah. reason I still haven't figured out Wade Miley pitched one 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 inning and then they took him out. One he only yeah. pitched one, one one batter and they took him out. So they starting him uh in this game, okay, at home. So I don't know well, the council had a, had a change of heart and figured, you know what, let me just start you at home <laughs> and roll the yeah. dice. I don't know what he did. But the fact is that they're at home, they're comfortable. I can't see uh, the Dodgers. And, 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 and the other piece, too, okay, they were going to have to try to beat Clayton Kershaw twice, all right? Yeah. And, and so you know that it, it would have been nice for them to win that extra inning game and had a game in hand knowing they had to go against Kershaw in L.A., and then come back home and try to close this thing out, but it didn't work out that way. But yeah, I fully expect this this to go seven games. The problem yeah, is it's going to be a Miller Park. My fault. Yep, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it is going to go seven. Given that, go ahead. Yeah, I that. mean they're going to take that one. I would be stunned if the Dodgers can go into Miller Park uh, and win that game. The problem is for both of these teams. Okay, they're going to cannibalize themselves against a Boston team, which I think at this point. It's going to be very difficult for Houston to come back and win three games against that team. I don't see it happening, but I can't. But here's the problem again: these teams are going to cannibalize themselves. They're going to come out with a lot of energy to be in the World Series, but fact is fact, man for man, pound for pound, this is a Boston Red Sox team that's just going to be uh, ridiculous to try to beat. The way they put away the Yankees, I really expected the Yankees to give them a series. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's a clear, it's clear sailing right now for them, unless something, you know, really untoward happens. I, I don't see anybody taking out Boston at this point. All right, you know that's our baseball here in the opening, Mike. You listen to Real Sports Guys, uh, one Mike. Uh, we're here with uh, Darnell and with Hank and, and, and Devon, and we're, we're we're hitting on some stuff. We're making our way around the, the, the sports world before we get into the cipher. Uh, before we do that, we always do our boxing moment with Darnell. And we just had Crawford Benavidez fight uh, here uh, uh, over the weekend. So, Darnell, come in and talk to us a little bit about uh, that fight. And we can, let's have a little discussion about what we'll bring Hank into it. Uh, you know, this was supposed to be a big test for Crawford. Um, your observation uh, about that fight? My observation was pretty much what I said before the fight. Um, I believe that Crawford will win fairly easily, but um, I didn't think it would be a very quick um, knockout. I thought he would. Um, I thought it would be late, later in the fight. I thought um, 
it, it might even go to decision. I thought that Benavidez being a counter puncher as well as Crawford being a counter puncher, it would take long. It would take. It would there would be spots in the action where um, they were looking at each other, waiting on to see who was going to engage. And Crawford has the faster hands and faster reflexes, so he's going to get on first. So um, that was pretty much my takeaway from the fight. And um, yeah, Jose Benavidez, he had a he had a tough showing um, at the beginning of the fight, but at the end of the day, um, the class the class shows. Yeah, I, I think you know one of the interesting things about that in, in people not knowing Benavidez's uh, story is that you know he was shot in yeah. L.A. and you know, and you know, his. I know it's. We talked a little bit before. The trainer was talking about him not being ready for the fight, and it would have been interesting to see him be able to fight on two legs. He got a lot of heart, and he's got. Um, he reminds me of Danny Garcia with a little bit more athleticism if he had both legs. You know what I'm saying? Like you can see mm-hmm. his athleticism is taken away from him to kind of see uh, uh, what he would have been like. Uh, but I thought it was a great fight for Crawford. Crawford um, really went to the body. Started, because going that body takes a lot of air out of you and forces you to use those legs, and this guy only has one and a half good leg. So you could see his knee, and when he mm-hmm. knocked him down the first time, I thought he broke his leg. The way he fell, I was like, ooh, yeah. we, might yeah. see, we might see a broken yeah, leg out of the way he fell. He fell. I said, like, oh, timber. Um, but I told you he's going to cut that big fella down. He started chopping that wood on him. But I, I love his heart, and I, I, what I would hope is if, he can take some time away and really try to rehab that leg. He came out, got a big fight for a belt, showed some heart, showed some spots. Now people aren't gonna be mad if you got to take, he's you know he's a, if you got to take a year or two to get your leg right, right? You know you had your shot. You're the kind of person that you people can get you in. People might kind of frame you as a you know a, 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 a someone that you it could be a come up kind of fighter, but you might be able to shock some folks. Um, and so take some time to figure out if you can get your leg to a point where it's never going to be a hundred percent, but it's going to allow you a lot more movement than you have now. That was kind of how I came away from it. Hey, did you have a chance to watch the fight? I did watch the fight and you know what? I, I enjoyed it. I really, yeah. I, I enjoyed everything about that fight. First of all, you know, last week we talked about this fight coming up and I didn't realize that Benavidez had did as much wolfing that he did that even yeah. during the, uh, the press conference, everything that he had pushed Crawford, and then Crawford kind of threw a, a punch at him, and uh, and the Benavidez was like, if, he, if that's the only way he gonna punch, I'm gonna really whip his butt. But the thing is about it, if you gonna if you gonna talk to talk, you sure better walk to walk. All right. Yes. Now when I looked at this fight, I didn't realize that the fight was taking place right there in the backyard of Terrence Crawford in Omaha, Nebraska. Yes. Okay. Yes. So now here you are, you gonna go against the champ with his people in his house. All right, and then what you're going to do is try to stand in front of him and counterpunch him. See, here's the thing: I give him a lot of credit for being, uh, being, being having a lot of heart, having a lot of guts. But you know what? I will not give him credit for being damn stupid. All right, you know you on one leg. I'm not giving you no credit for that. Okay, you don't go into another man's house unless you know you can come out with his woman. Okay, you don't do that. He came out there knowing he wasn't on two good limbs, knowing he's gonna that 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 the only way I'm gonna beat this man in his own house is I can't let it go to the cards, right? 
That means I got to calm hard. I'm going to stand in front of him and try to counterpunch him for six rounds. One thing I saw with Terrence Crawford was he took his time. He was patient. He just, he, just like you said, he knew what he had going for him. He, he, kept, he kept going to the body with him, going to the body with him. He stayed away from his reach. He moved around him. He used his feet a lot. If you watch that fight, he was going he was going southpaw a little bit, throwing off his balance, throwing off Benavides' balance. And then when it got late in the fight, he knew he could hurt him. He threw the uppercut that knocked him down. It's the only time he threw it the whole fight. It's the yeah. only time he threw it the whole fight. And you're right. The way his leg went buckled underneath him, I thought he would amputate that puppy. I thought he got to go back out. Now, that being said, you know, you, you can't do that. You've got to be smart, okay? One thing I, I, I did like was you can't be doing all that wolfing and you know that you've got some disadvantages against a champion in his own house. So I give him a lot of credit for that, D, but what I didn't see from him for all that wolf, I didn't see him be as aggressive as he could be. I didn't see him use his size like he should have. Oh, man, you got this man that you know that's faster than you. Get him in the corner try to work him down, try to slow him down, so maybe you can get him in the later rounds. I didn't see any of that. I thought when you look at the fight in its totality, what I saw was a very complete game plan by Terrence Crawford that, that culminated the only way it could have with that devastating uppercut and it was ball game over, drive home safe. And, 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 uh, and uh, Crawford was like LL Cool J because his mama did say knock him out. Yes, she did. The thing is, he told her to do it. She told him to do it. She said, "In this, that was in the tenth round." (laughs) Mama said, "Knock him out." Right. (laughs) Mama was showing out as much as anybody after that fight was over. She was. He had it going. Darnell, you know, uh, what are some other observations you have? And what do you what do you think is going to be next for Terrence Crawford? Terrence Crawford. I know we all want to see the fight with Spence, but I don't think it's happening next. So, uh, I think I heard a couple names, but I guess uh, he might be fighting this dude named Igor Kavalovskis, a guy from Ukraine. He trains with um, Robert Garcia, which is the older brother okay. of Mikey over in Oxnard. But, um, yeah, it might, might not be the fight fans want, but um, Bob Arum Bob Arum actually is coming out now and saying that he wants to make the fight with Spence now but Spence got to call him on and see if we can make the fight but I don't think it's going to happen right now alright hey that, 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 that that's a boxing moment with, with, with Darnell hey man thank you for uh, uh, keeping that hot thank you for everything you're doing with our rundown young fella you, you, you got a feature in this game uh, when we come back, we're going to go to the cypher. All right.
reclaiming my time, reclaiming my time. All right, you listen to RSG One Mike, and we're about to enter the cipher. And in the cipher, you have a fundamental question or something that we're trying to focus on uh, uh, during this this, this final uh, portion of our podcast. Um, RSG is uh, uh, you can find us if you, if you want to check us all out. We're on all social media platforms, Real Sports Guys. Um, check us out at Patreon. Uh, Patreon is where you can support underground artists and performers. You can check RSG out on Patreon as well. Um, I'm here with my man Hank and, and Darnell, and we're going to go into the cipher. The cipher, and uh, thank you to our man Darnell, the, the, the dope producer now, uh, who's given us the topics here tonight. Um, so what we're going to talk about is uh, the NBA Developmental League is offering $125,000 for high school prospects to play. And the question that we want to really focus on is, or the questions, um, what does this mean for the NCAA? Is this the end of college basketball as we know it? Uh, Darnell, since you raised this question, I- I'm going to let you start. I'm going to bring you the cipher. We rarely bring you in, but I think since you developed this, I think it's okay for you to, 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 to share with us. Are you ready, young fella? Do you want to come in? Do you want to be part of this? Do you, do you uh-huh. want to talk? Yeah. What, do you, what do you want to do, young? So w- what do you think? All right. I, you, you think it's the end? You think this is good? I don't think um I don't think it's gonna be necessarily the end of college basketball, but um as far as the one and done players that we're getting now, I think a lot of them are gonna start going to that NBA D league because um we even had a couple players in the past like Brandon Jennings and um other people like that and Emmanuel Moody is the other guy I was thinking of that um decided to go overseas for a year instead of playing in college, so you're gonna get a lot of those guys like DeAndre Ayton and um. Zion Williamson and guys like that, they're going to start going to the NBA D-League instead of going to college because they're getting paid. But actually, a lot of those guys are getting paid anyway, to be honest. They're just, <laughs> like Zion Williamson, Cough Cough. Yeah, those guys yeah, are getting paid can... anyway, but um, they're going to crack down on that, so um, the NBA D-League might be a better option for them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that, um, you know, when we have all these discussions, we're only talking about a handful of players. And, um, and you know, if, if they can get it to feel a lot like baseball where, look, you can go and do this right away and do this and that, but if you come, stay for three years, then I think the college game will be all right because I think you'll have more teams with identities, which I think is really important. And one of the things I think that's missed a lot in youth basketball is the power of continuity. Some of these guys uh, jump from team to team, you know, the, the, depending on how much playing time they get and what kind of shine they're going to get to position themselves for the money, that one of the greatest things about basketball over time is you learn to play by continuity. You get around, you play with some people for multiple seasons, you figure out how to fill out your game because you have to spend half the time learning who you're playing with. And so I think being able to do that at the college level and letting, you know, getting kids who can play for three years together and really start to flush that game out, you know, you're gonna get you're gonna get the Kawhi Leonard to what play what uh, three years, four years. You're gonna get kids who come in well developed, or who at least know about the game enough for you to develop them in the pros. Steph Curry played multiple years. You know, so it's not like we don't have stars. Draymond Green, who played multiple years, in addition to having those one and done. So, I you know, it's interesting. I think 
early on it's going to be, but something like March Madness is crazy, not because of just star power. It's really about the star power is the is the the upset. It's not, you know, the, the names on the front of the jersey still matter at, at March Madness. So, you know, I, I think that you might get people following teams a little bit longer because those teams will develop identities. They won't be changing one and done where you can't really track the roster. So, you know, I, I think this is something that might not be um, as bad an issue as people might think because it, it affects a handful of players. What about you, Hank? You know, I, I I thought long and hard about this. This was on the radio and on everywhere. Everybody was talking about this G League. They're talking about $125,000 to elite uh, players that's 18 years old, know that they're going to handpick themselves. Like you said, who may be the one and donors. Now, I don't think this really impacts but a handful of teams in college basketball anyway, okay? If you want to look at your Kentuckys, and, and, and teams like that, not even Duke so much, but those teams that have historically just had those players go in for the one season and then bust up, all right? Now, where this helps basketball is the rest of these teams aren't getting a lot of these guys, right? And you've got coaches like an Izzo or a Beeline or uh, uh, a Calipari or, you know, a Krzyzewski that knows how to develop these players anyway. And these guys are going to stay the two to three years, okay, and then try it. Where I hope that this really, because then you spoke on it a little bit, D, what I hope this really does is enhances the basketball, the professional basketball experience for the fan, okay? The one thing I, I despised about kids coming out of high school going right into the pros is that their game was not ready. Okay, which which led to some very ugly basketball, which also led to players getting cut. Um, they now have lost their uh, uh, eligibility to play collegiate basketball, and there you have it. You have other guys that if they cannot figure out a way to get overseas are out there. I'm hoping that this really enhances the basketball experience at the professional level. All right, I don't really think because you don't have that many kids, or should I say athletes, at the pro level, their game starts to develop. Okay, you look at a player coming out of Michigan like a Mo Wagner, okay, who was really not a pro candidate until he got to his late sophomore uh, junior season, okay, and other and players of that ilk, okay, a Dante DiVincenzo, for example, who we hadn't heard of, who shot the lights out. The other piece they're not talking a whole lot about is a lot of these players, while 125 grand sounds like a lot of money, and it is. But it doesn't compare to the millions they can make in the NBA. But if they're not seen, but if they're only seen at that blood and guts level of the G League or the D League, where they could become that superstar playing for a, a, a big time college uh, program, right? Where they get that exposure. And like D said, some of them, are, like Darnell said, some of them are already getting paid. Some of them already got living in that lap of luxury. Now they also get the chance to be seen you know, on ESPN and on CBS on Saturday. So now their stock rises a little bit. You speak of these guys that have had to go to the D-League, they've had to grind the entire time. They had to get to the combine, and or, or if, if they're not affiliated, if you will, with a particular team, right, and hope to get there. Like you said, I think this is set up more like a farm system for the NBA, which I hope it does because, again, you want the pro team, 
to, to look like something. You want to be able to have your pro teams, you know, you want your, you want your guards to be able to shoot, right? You want your, your, your big men to make free throws, you know, things like that. You, you, you want to have the quality of the pro game be a better experience. And so I'm with that. You know, I know the NBA and, and Silver, I give him a lot of credit. He's tried to be very proactive in how to, you know, um, and, and make the NBA better. And I and, and I appreciate that. Whatever they can do, that 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 the, that the pro game is something that the fans can appreciate. Okay, that you're not just coming out there and playing, and you can't you can't play the basic fundamentals of the game, and these players come in and develop. And I'm hoping that the G League develops these players, and they just don't get any money, and all they are are high high priced high schoolers who still get to the game to the pro game, and they still haven't developed much. Yeah, and one of the things, a couple of things I would like to see in this, because so much is the emphasis on the basketball uh, aspect of it, um, but these are still young people who need to develop intellectually. And so I would want to know what the, what the, um, the, the um, intellectual development aspect of the, of the development league is going to be. What's the continuing education plan? Um, because, you know, these kids also need to be preparing themselves uh, for uh, to be successful in multiple ways, mm-hmm. and you know, I think LeBron's a great example of somebody who's like a lifelong learner. I just think, just to think that's the way he's been developed. But not all of them are like that. And to what extent that does that carrot also, even though they're not going to college and doing it, you know, playing the college basketball, what's the educational component that's part of that development? And I think that's something. Someone like Adam Silver is someone I, I would think would be thinking about that. Um, I just think that his, my sense of his framework is about that. And so I, w- I would love to be able to, you know, I'm not talking for degree purposes. You know, it doesn't mean you have to go get a four-year degree or whatever. But what ways are they going to continue to develop these, these young people, not only in, in terms of the basketball, but how are you developing them intellectually? And that's one. The other thing is, you know, you know, when you've been taking steroids and then you got to just kind of work out like everybody else, there's an effect. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens with schools like Duke and Kentucky, who have been able to to really foster that one-and-done phenomenon. And now some of those one-and-dones you were going to get aren't going to be there, where, where the gap between the talent is so huge, where now you almost got to go back to that 1990s early model, you know, uh, Fab Five model, where you got some talent, but you want to develop it. And you know what? You know how it is, man. When you know when, not to say that they weren't coaching. Now I, I wouldn't want to say that, but there's an element that you could put on the court when you you see what Duke is going to put on the court this year. There's some, there's going to be some little nervousness once that 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 kid Williams dunk on somebody. That that that's a, that going to add a level of intimidation that is going to push a couple kids back a little bit on the floor. Like, okay, what are we on here with? And when when you – it's going to be interesting to see how that talent base changes and how the recruiting patterns change depending on how long those kids – the NCAA decides on how long they got to stay in the college. Right? If they go with that kind of two-year, three-year model, then kids can make decisions – they're going to be making decisions on different kinds of things than just going to Kentucky. Right, right. That brings other schools like Michigan back in the mix. That brings, uh, you know, some of these cats, you know, uh, who 
you know, that's more of a Kansas model. In some ways, I think Bill Self might be better suited for this model they got. They got going out of all the coaches. I think Bill Self, uh, what's happened in Villanova, might be more ready for this model, this change than anybody in the country. Because even though they're highly talented teams, they probably have more two, three-year uh, players on their squads than than Kentucky or or Duke. Even Carolina have a few more cats who stay for two or three years. So it's going to be interesting to see how. Not that Coach K can't make the adjustment, but it means. Calipari gonna have a totally different model, and it's gonna be interesting right. to see how they're. That's gonna that's gonna work well for a coach like Beeline, who's been doing the talent development model, or or what's been happening at Wisconsin, who's been doing the talent development model. So it's gonna be interesting how that all plays out um, when these when you take these top cream of cop kids off out of out of the system. You know what? You, you this is what I like about it, okay? Because where you could. Pretty much make your make make a five year deal as a coach a multi year deal by simply getting a bunch of blue chippers, right? Putting them on your roster, letting them make a couple of runs, and then just sitting back and then just keep running that process. Um, I like the idea of this. Like you said, you're, this this really what it does is it creates parity for the collegiate game for the college game. Because, like I said, this is only going to really impact a handful of schools whose whole thing was to slime me one and dones so I could keep my job. Okay, I don't. Yeah. I, it, it, it's the lazy approach. I don't have to coach. I just need to keep you all in shape until we get to the finals and then let you all go play. All right. Now, to the defense of a John Calipari, to the defense of, of Mike Krzyzewski, all right, what they were doing was basically – doing what the system allowed them to do, okay? That's true. Don't forget, Calipari came from UMass, okay? So he had to recruit and he had to coach. It was that kind of stuff that got him to Memphis that eventually got him to Kentucky, all right? Mike Krzyzewski put Duke University on the map. So I don't want to disparage these coaches because they got one and done players, okay? They did that based upon their ability to coach and develop players before this happened, right? So the, the rules changed. They were already able to coach. They just got to be able to say, "I got to go back and do this now." All right. So I want to, but, but I believe that for the total game of college basketball, that I can go and coach a kid that I want that I know wants to get an education, who is cerebral, who I can run schemes. And see, back in the day, basketball, college basketball was talent, but there's a lot of schemes out there. You know, the one scheme I'm glad they got rid of was when they brought the 30-second clock in so that these teams just wouldn't hold the damn ball the whole half and you get 24 to 23 ball games. You remember that time? That was yes, a scheme. No. So, no. so the fact that they've kind of changed the game and now these coaches have had to adapt, I think that's great. I think it's great for the college basketball players to decide to, A, go to school to get an education, but, B, be developed and to be and, and so that you have a chance not just to get to the NBA but to stay there. You know, and that's the other piece. You know, just because you got talent today, if you not, if you can't think what's going on on that floor, and we've seen that a lot, players, that we've seen them come out of high school, bad, God-gifted talent, don't have the brain God gave a toilet paper roll and can't stick in the league. <laughs> okay? So I'm hoping that these leagues are development leagues. You're going to bring a kid in there at 18 years old, you're going to pay him $125,000 which I can say there's a lot of uh, average Americans ain't making 120 grand doing nothing. 
all right, at least develop them intellectually and what it takes to be a professional. So in the event that they get to that level, they're already prepared. Otherwise, it's a waste. Yeah, and I hope they have them. It would be a unique twist is having them not only playing, you know, each other in these developmental leagues, but having them play in some international stuff so these kids can travel and play, you know, against teams in Europe where, again, through that kind of uh, travel, there's some – there's some things that start to expand your notion of the world. Um, and, you know, I would hope, you know, in basketball being a global game, you know, you know maybe that's going to be part of their, you know, their, their global tournament that they'd like to, to be able to do. You know, Darnell, you know, you, you come from the streaming generation. You know, social media. Y'all like y'all stuff quick. You like your microwaves. You know, this change is happening. You know, how do you see, you know, how do you see y'all might consume the game? Is it something that would turn off young folks? You know, are they are they want to see what's just what's hot? You know, are they gonna you know what 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 is it gonna be for y'all as a, a generation where you know you kind of gravitate towards individuals sometimes and not teams? I don't I don't see it playing out very well to be honest because um I I think people still have an attachment with these schools like um the Michigan's, Michigan State, Louisville, Kentucky, Duke. If people still people still watch and follow want to follow college basketball. There will be some like hardcore basketball fans like us or people that um really follow the game that's gonna watch the D League. But I don't know if people are really gonna be over here watching um the I don't even know any um D League team names to be honest offhand. But I don't think many people are gonna be watching it. And are they even gonna be advertising it like um? I don't know. I mean, do, do you think, do you think the NBA? Do you think the NBA even had that as part of their calculus that the, this is the opportunity, kind of like the summer league buzz? This they learned from the summer league, um, you know, um, you know, energy because summer league is bigger than it ever been. So learning from that, thinking that maybe there's going to be more eyeballs on D league basketball, or, or you think they're just in the development uh, game, kind of like baseball, minor league, where you don't know all the minor league teams. You know there's a kid playing in Beloit, Wisconsin for, you know, uh, the, the, the minor league team there. Uh, but you, you, you know that, you know, you know that we, we, we knew that there's some great players down there. You didn't quite always go or the Ice Hogs in Rockford. You, you knew some players, but people, people in the city go. But, you know, naturally you're not paying attention to them until they come up to the big leagues. I mean, it could be that effect, or are you thinking – do you think the NBA saw the impact of the summer league and said, okay, here's another possible revenue stream where we might be able to get eyeballs on these young players? Well, you know, if anything's going on with the league, uh, money has to be involved. So uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure they saw the growth in the summer league and they're going to incorporate that into maybe. And I think um, another thing that they saw was uh, LeVar Ball's league, the big baller brand. They saw that, and they um, I think that sparked an idea in their um in their mind that, oh, Levar Ball is paying twenty thousand dollars for kids to um, play on his team, then maybe we can pay a lot more, and before his league takes off, so we can just um, kind of take eat off of his ideas and profit off of it. Oh, so you you said you said the NBA try to be Facebook. <laughs> you see, they they Zuckerberg exactly. them. They, they Zuckerberg them. Yeah. They just they just taking ideas and flipping them and, 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 and do whatever you can do. They 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 pull the Zuckerberg on them. Well, hey, 
You can't blame him. You know what? He makes Darnell makes a valid point. Um, And he is talking about there's got to be some exposure, right? That's a big deal. If I'm going to go and I'm going to sit down, if I'm an 18-year-old kid, I'm a star in my basketball team, okay, and I've got offers all over the country to go play ball, but I'm not really a student, okay? I'm an athlete. You know, I'm trying to get get to the league. (laughs) So if only thing that's offered to me is the G League, I don't have – I, I don't have the intellect. I'm not saying the intellect. I don't have the desire to want to go to a class unless it's at the gym. But if I go and play this league, at some point, where are you going? To, where is your revenue stream coming from? That is a very valid point because it's like the, the summer league offers its buzz simply because it's right after the draft. There's no other basketball being played, right? And they can show these games, and where they have those games at are where people will go in and go and watch. They're at Vegas. You know, they play a lot of those games out in Las Vegas. There's always people out in Vegas, right? Especially when you're doing it in the summer when it's a million degrees in Las Vegas, I'm going into a nice, cool arena and watch some basketball. I don't care who playing. So they've got that figured out. But now there are some players that are identifiable on those teams, and those teams are identifiable. So you do have the draft, the the, the, the players that were drafted by the Lakers playing the, the the players that were drafted by Boston, as well as other players that was on the end of that bench. So there is some recognition for people to want to go and see. If I'm out in Vegas and the Pistons are playing, I want to go see the Pistons players that that's on the end of the bench and their draft choices. That's how the summer league has kind of made their niche. It's brilliant. Now you talk about this league they want to play in the summer, and you've got a lot of unrecognizable players outside of scouts, outside of some people who follow recruiting. What's going to be your drive there unless you somehow tie that in with the summer league? Um, and, and, you know, the other details haven't come out completely yet, but that's right. What's driving that? Are they going to, t- are they going to split revenues early on with what the summer league is doing? Okay and try to drive this, that it's going to be interesting to see. I guess we have to stay tuned. Yeah, I, I think I think you're hitting on some things. And, you know, it's also an opportunity for them to put it in some cities. Like, you know, it's all this discussion about, you know, Seattle not having a team. You know, this is not this is it's not a consolation prize, but if you're able to put a team in there and continue that presence of the NBA in Seattle with one of these teams until you find a way to put, you know, a full-time team there. You know, could you or could you have these teams playing in the same city as their parent team um, and maybe they're playing before their parent team plays or after, right, where, you know, if you've got a 7 o'clock game in San Antonio, do you have that game play before? You know, there's, there's, I don't know. I don't know how you build the interest around that. Or you just believe, just like baseball, this is part of building the talent pipeline and that's the cost of building your talent pipeline. Right, you know, yeah. and it becomes a revenue generating market for that local team, and we're going to put support around that with people who know how to do things locally. That's kind of how baseball does it. But this is just the cost of developing your your talent base, and many of those cats who come through, you know, I don't know when they can come up, but you know, some of those cats will come up sooner than you think. You know, it might be six months in the D league or in in this league, and then they're up on the NBA roster for a lot of these guys. You know, just because they're going to be so talented, um, you know, they might be doing six months, and maybe they're coming in that second half of the season. 
So, you know, it, Adam's pretty smart. A lot of folks around him are pretty smart, and I think they've thought this through. Um, we just got to watch them roll it out and tweak it. The thing about it, it, it didn't feel like they did it in coordination with college basketball. I think that's the, the rub. And so it seems like people are trying to react to these decisions. And I think they're trying to line up now, but um, it, it didn't seem like there was a lot of collaboration uh, in rolling this out. It didn't feel like that, at least what I saw. I don't know if y'all y'all saw that. I didn't see that, but what I did see is I don't see them trying to compete with college yeah. basketball neither. All right? Yeah. Um, so so what they're trying to do is, is separate and apart. So there's not – uh, you know, the NBA season going on, then the college basketball season going on. And, oh, by the way, now here comes the G League. The G League is sitting out here in the summer, which, again, I think is brilliant. The only other piece yeah. that I don't, only, I don't know if we've touched upon this is that when we start talking, when they start talking about rolling out these teams, and another way that they could probably help uh, support these teams is if, in fact, they are affiliated with some NBA teams, you know, some 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 NBA franchises like baseball does, you know, you know the Detroit Tigers or the Boston Red Sox, if you will, have four or five farm teams that's affiliated with them. Okay, now the problem with that is the fact that those players are now the property of those teams. Okay, so you just can't go and play for uh, the the whatever team that's in Phoenix and is affiliated with the Boston uh, Celtics, and then you want to go hit the draft, if you will, they've got to trade your rights away. So that's how the whole farm system works. So if that's what they're doing, that would help them finance this if it was a part of the revenue stream of the NBA individual franchises that a stipend or whatever is given for that. That makes those teams more uh, lucrative if they do it that way. It takes a little bit of the burden off of the league in itself. But in the same token, you know, it also you, – you've got to have as many uh, G League teams as you have NBA teams. Are they trying to grow it that big? Do they think they're going to have that kind of participation? And if they do, does that now water down what they're trying to do? You see, so a lot of questions that, you know, I think Adam Silver has to answer. I know that they've probably thought it out probably on a lesser scale. But when you start talking about what kind of what what are you, what are you talking about as far as that player uh, participation, you know, we talk about that even when we go back to the players that wanted to leave out of high school. You're na- you can only name a handful of them. Okay, your Dwight Howard, your Kobe Bryant's, uh, your LeBron Jameses that were able to do that. You go back a little farther, your Daryl Dawkinses. But see, there was a lot of them a player that anybody probably ever heard of unless the people that are sitting around here talking right now are Corleone Young that did that, that got drafted, that never played a, a minute, I don't think, in the NBA, and others like that. You know, so my point is, what are we talking about here, and are we mortgaging some of these young men's future when they should be developed greater? You see what I'm saying? So, again, we could go all day on the on the what about this, what about that. I, like you said, Adam Silver is very smart. Um, he, he, he's coming up with this thing, and I know it's been bothering him the minute he became commissioner of the NBA that they've got this in here that you've got to be at least 20 years old to play in the NBA. And I understand what he's trying to do, and he's not really in favor of that. I know he, he he's spoken out on it. But, you know, he's got the Players Association and stuff saying, hang on now, we got issues with that ourselves. 
You know, so we got we, we, we got to get some of these players. Some of these players got to be developed somewhere. They've got to have some sort of sense of maturity. So this is what he's trying to do, and I think this is a go-between. I think they try to get it up and running and, and then tweak it and to see what they have and then to tweak it that way, then just have it sit on a, on, on a, on a, on a, a drawing board and not see what's going on. So I, I think that's where we're at with this. Yeah, and, I, and I, let me lay this out for us. So you listen to RSG1, Mike. Uh, we're in a cipher. We're talking about the the developmental uh, league that the NBA is developing to to pay select uh, athletes who have to go through a process to be um, identified for this, where, where they will earn $125,000 for one year, um, and it's just after they graduate uh, from high school. And the, the contracts will only be available to players who are at least 18 years old and have not yet committed to a college program. So that's a key, key thing to think about. Players who sign will be able to hire agents, profit from their likeness, and sign various endorsement deals. So it's $125,000, but they can also sign a shoe contract with folks. So if you want to catch the early LeBron, there's going to be that shoe war. They brought that down to these guys in a space that pulls a little bit away from some of the, the college basketball uh, activities. Uh, players will be uh, will will only be allowed to play one season uh, on a select contract. So these are called select contracts. At which point they will automatically enter the the next NBA draft. So they'll play that one year and then they'll enter the draft in that following year um, from from when they enter this thing. And then players will have access to uh, various personal and professional development programs, including professional coaches, training staffs, and academic scholarship opportunities. So. Adam is, is thinking through the educational component. And so that continuing education piece that we talked about is, is, is really important. So what they've done, as I look at this, is they made the first move to allow the NCAA then to say, look, we're going away from one and done. You've got to be in here two years or three years. But they already have a system in place to plug these kids in without the NCAA making those decisions and then not having a place – for those students who are one and done to go. So the sequencing makes sense um, for this, but it looks like the NBA has thought about this in a, in a much more uh, comprehensive way. That makes sense? Yeah, y'all? that makes a lot of sense. And, and like I said before, whoever is representing these kids, whoever is talking to them, they better make doggone sure. You know, and the NBA better be doing their jobs as well as far as who they're going to offer. You know, that, that if you get offered this, that the opportunity for you, and, and again, the, the thing that gets me about this is like, so how many kids across the country are you offering every year? You see what I'm saying? I mean, so how many teams are you going to have in this league? Because when you look at, when you just look at the history of the the amount of players when they had the uh, before they went to one and done, all right, you had a, a handful, and I would say maybe 20, 30 kids, maybe 40 kids that that chose to try to do this. I'm not. I'm foregoing college, and I'm going to enter into the NBA. And of those 40 kids that may do that, right, maybe six, and I'm being modest, maybe five, maybe four got drafted in the two rounds. You see what I'm following? Because once you get to the NBA draft, you're talking about an international draft, which means you're getting players from across the seas, and we've seen that 
that's getting that's 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 going to take your draft spot. So this is a very 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 uh, risky opportunity for these kids because their college eligibility is gone. They are now professionals. So he's saying a select few. Who else is filling out these rosters? I guess is where I'm at um, because it is. It, again, it's sketchy. The one and dones, well, at, it's, least, it's at least with the one and dones. If you yeah, have an injury, hang on. If you have an injury or something, and you're willing, if you're on a, a college roster, you can come back the next year and still increase your status. And I guess you know you, you're following me here. It's almost like you you selling your soul for 125 grand because you want to select few, but you don't have any other route but the NBA. And if you don't get drafted. You you you're done now. Now you've got to go Plan B, and you might be that next LeBron. But anything can happen. You don't have any chance to get that back. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, but I, I think part of it is these. They also get to make money off their likeness. So the hundred twenty five thousand is a base salary. Then they can do likeness. They, they get to sign with an agent, so they could be. They got. They're gonna have additional revenue coming in, and then they're also fitting in with. It's, it's a lot like hockey and baseball. They're also. Isn't there are those journeymen who are still trying to get there? You know, um, all, you know the, the people who are on there now, you're adding these young people into that roster. So they're also learning how to travel, you know, in a way that's not as high profile. They're learning how to be in that space. Um, and so they're going to get baked in, but then they go into the draft the next year to be the next year to be drafted. If they get drafted, if not, they're going to go right back to the daily. You know, that's, you know, they still can – They'll get a, a diff, they can get a different contract, or they can go to Europe. I mean, they're going to, at that point. They go to the D League. So we're saying that um, at that point, they they again. So if they haven't developed or anything else, I, I get what you're saying. But again, yeah, when, I'm a free agent selection, when I'm looking at my yeah, I'm saying you, you, you're talking about that that when when the NBA is talking about offering to select, you're looking at you're looking at kids that you think is going to be the next LeBron, the next Kobe, the next Daryl Dawkins, okay, the next Dwight Howard, heaven forbid. But that's what you're looking for, okay, when you're going to do this. And so what I am saying, and playing devil's advocate to this, is that you now have said your likeness, which don't nobody know who you are anyway, unless you are just that kind of cat that transcends like like, like LeBron did. We saw LeBron James uh with the high school jersey on, okay? We didn't see a lot of these other guys. We kind of knew who they were until they got to Duke, till they got to Kentucky, till they got to Michigan. They were like, oh, yeah, we heard about him, okay? And then being a part of the school, the Lonzo Balls of the world, we heard about him when he was playing with UCLA. Now that's going to help him get to the Lakers. But now you're taking that away, all right, and you're going to go based upon your talents, and somebody's going to sign you to a shoe deal because you are a G League phenomenon for this year. You better be, because if for whatever reason you don't work out, that's where you stuck until until the NBA team takes a takes a shot at you. Now, if your talent is there, you are that transcending athlete. You're good, but if not, for whatever reason, you get a toe injury and you can't finish that season, you're rolling the dice. Now you got to go to the combines and some of everything else. I'm just saying it, 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 it sounds good on paper, but there are some things you're talking about an 18-year-old. You're asking a lot without even but having I, that I, I, outside of being high or AAU. I think, what's what, I think what's different about this is that um, these players are going through the same type of evaluation 
currently some basketball players get to do where they're getting information from the league. So they have to go through They have to be certified to be in this process. So people are – before those kids said, I'm going to the league. <laughs> you know, family got together, talked about it, you know, and they said, I'm going to the league. I'm declaring for the draft. This is a certification process, which means the NBA is evaluating you, a whole bunch of people are evaluating you, whether or not you're going to be eligible to be part of this pool to go. And then the second thing is you have have to have not uh, committed to a college. So it's like, it's like if LeBron came through, they would have vetted, and we all would have said, well, he's, he's coming. But they'll, 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 they'll vet you to see if you're even going to get in this pool. Versus in the previous model, if you just felt like you wanted to declare – and you, 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 Willie John from from Birmingham, Alabama, until you can play, you could declare for the draft. Whereas, no, we we have to evaluate because they're trying to protect them against themselves. You see what I'm saying? Right. So those those people are more likely to be your Kevin Garnett types, those kind of guys who you know have are are going to be lottery picks. That's basically the model. And the lot the people with lottery picks this year. They probably knew senior year they were going to be lottery picks. And they did really disappoint you in college that they were going to be lottery picks, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what, that's, those are the people, the lottery pick guys are the ones who are going to be able to go through this process. If you're a lottery pick guy, then you need to find your favorite college. Right. You need to figure it out. You need to know. You need, you need to call, you know, Miller over in Arizona. You need to, you need to, you need to know you're going to college. But they're going to vet them in time for them to be able to make the decision. And I think that's the safety valve they put in. This is not a decision you make. You have to make yourself available, but the league is going to decide whether or not you're available. It ain't going to be something you declare. That's my That makes sense. a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense then. All right. All right. All right. You listen to RG1, Mike. This is D. Wills. We're with Hank. Uh, We're with my man, Darnell, who's, who's, who set the rundown. Hey, Darnell, man, you did a good job, bro. Awesome. You did a good job yeah. with this rundown, man. Yeah, you we, threw that we got the right in the, the middle. We're right down the middle. Pop the mitt. Nice job. Now, now you got to keep doing it. You got to keep doing it. Don't fall off on me. No more backstops. <laughs> no, ain't, ain't no backslide uh-huh. right now. We holding these expectations. Uh, just, uh, just a quick update on the MLB. Um, well, they're at the bottom of the seventh right now, and the Red Sox are up 4 to 0. Yep. They look good. Woo. It's going to be crazy out there in Bean Town. I've been out there. It's going to be. I've been out there in Fenway, boy. There's nothing like watching a game in Fenway. Yeah, it's I know. Crazy. I, have, I have too. Wow. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. I've been out there for a Yankees, Red Sox game. A lot of fun out there in Fenway. A lot of fun out there. So I know they're rocking out there. It's gonna be crowded on the tee. It's gonna be crowded on the tee in Boston out there. Oh yeah. Well, hey y'all, this has been a good show. And you know, those of you who are listening to us for the first time, you know, uh, this show has an opening mic, has the cipher, and then we we have the drop the mic. And in our tradition, we've developed here in recent weeks. Part of our tradition. <laughs> But we, we want to get back to our culture. And with Hank being, you know, the elder statesman in the group, it, 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 when we come up, Darnell and I know this, we come up, 
you know, in the places we come, that the, you know, even when you're in the barbershop, when the elder statesmen speak, everybody just kind of sit back and listen because there's some wisdom about to hit you in the head. And so in, 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 in one mic, when we drop the mic, we only let one person drop the mic because he is the elder statesman, a elder statesman, and that's our man Hank. Going to drop the mic. Thank you, D. Uh, I want to do a quick program note. Earlier tonight in the baseball segment, I wanted to say the pitcher that got the perfect game for the Detroit Tigers that was taken away by Joe West, that was Armando Galarraga for the Detroit Tigers, who had gone uh, almost a perfect game, but then Joe West blew that call. So what I want to talk about tonight, really, we didn't talk any college uh, football tonight, but I want to talk a little bit about fandom. Okay, we've talked a lot about players moving around, and we talk about all these different things, and 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 I, I, I like to embrace this guy. I like to embrace that guy. Let's talk about fandom a little bit. You know, when when we was kids, you know, growing up, you know, all the little kids always had their favorite baseball cap board or their favorite team's name on over the front, okay? And that meant something. That meant something. You know, this week happens to be, uh, this coming Saturday happens to be the backyard brawl between Michigan State and Michigan you know, for the Paul Bunyan Trophy in football. And the thing is about it is people get riled up. What is this fandom? What is this? Is it just looking good, having all the colors on? We live in a day and age right now where you can go to any online shop and get any team's colors you want to wear. Just because they look good, I like the colors. That ain't fandom, okay? That's just one to look good because the sports team stuff is available. I'm talking about pure blood and gut fandom. I'm talking about that team. Not just the color, the culture, who that team is, is in your DNA, okay? It is right there, okay? Where you go to a game, not just because I want to go and root for the team that's got the prettiest end zone. No, there's more to that. Fandom, when you can sit down next to a stranger and y'all can talk about things past and you don't know that fella's name, but y'all act like your family. Fandom. When you see somebody walk in the room with that other team's color on and you think they're a crip if you're a blood or you're a blood and you're a crip, fandom, where there is hate. You heard me talk about good old-fashioned hatred. And I'm not talking about hating somebody because of race, creed, or color. I'm talking about rivalry hate. I'm talking about fandom. I'm talking about that if your team loses, the rest of your week is shot. Fandom. We're kind of losing a little bit of that. Let me tell you a little bit of something. It's not about the name on the back. It's about that name on the front, fandom, okay? When you say you bleed maize and blue or red and white or green and white, that means something, fandom. It's that you have so much love and desire that it goes beyond what you have for family, fandom, okay? It may come from where you live. It may come from where you worked. It may come from how you grew up, but you can't get away from it. If you live in Ann Arbor and you move to Wisconsin, if you live in Wisconsin and you move to Minnesota or Los Angeles, you take a piece of that with you. Just like you take your mom and your dad and your sisters and your cousins, you take your fandom with you and you grow it. Fandom. It is something, and we talk about being a fan as being a fanatic. Well, a fanatic is anybody who is onto something, then they move on to something else. I'm talking about fandom and culture ways. And the thing is about it is, if you live in Alabama and you are an Alabama fan, you can't be an Auburn fan. If you live in Michigan 
you're either amazing blue or green and white. If you're one of these people that say, oh, I like both teams, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You have to choose a side because that's where you come from. That's who you are. Fandom. Why is that so important? Because it makes us who we are. It makes us who we are. It makes that competitive edge that when you grow up, when you when you when you become a man, when you become a woman, you have something that you believe in. And it's not just whether you win or lose, it's all the time. It's all the time. It's fandom. I don't care what the sport, I once you see whatever that emblem, whatever that logo is of your team, you have pride in it because it's a part of you. I bring that to you today, folks, because you know we always talk about sports and we get so wrapped up in the business and we get so wrapped up in all of this, but sometimes it comes right down to what's beating right in the center of your chest, your heart, your desire, your want, your creed, your DNA, your fandom. That's going to be one mic for tonight. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.